Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito Welcome to the Coog Center Podcast, and here's your host. Michael Preston. I don't know a ton of people who actually like for them Angry Beavers was their favorite Nickelodeon show, but it was it was just so delightfully ridiculous in almost every single way it was possible for it to be ridiculous. I really liked that show. The, the guy who plays um I think it's Norbert is, uh, his name is Nick. He played the cat in uh, Sabrina the Teenage Witch. He played Salem's voice in Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Nick Bakai, I think, is his name. He did a lot of really good voice work in the 90s and early aughts. I really like um, his voice in that show. But that, I'm like the only person. It's that and Rocket Power. Hey, Arnold's up there for me, too. I'm kind of showing my age here a bit with uh, the Nickelodeon shows, aren't I? Yeah, those were my favorite ones. Um, but if I were Oregon State, I'd be pretty pissed off. I'd be an angry beaver, too. Welcome to the Kook Center Hour. We're going to talk about that game. We're going to preview Stanford a little bit. We are going to get Nick Rolovich here a little bit because that is a deadline that is coming up uh, next week and something may be happening with it next week, maybe, possibly. Um, We're going to talk about that a little bit. We'll end, as always, with our Dunderhead of the Week and Ask Michael Anything. As usual with Stanford Week, it's kind of a pain in the butt to get anybody on because there's not really anybody who covers them Kind of, sort of. So it's kind of a weird enigma. Like, it's so weird that like David Shaw has all this job security and all he's really got to do is not humiliate Stanford University. But that's a school that, I mean, it's nice for them to have sports, but they're really more interested in their archery team, I'm pretty sure. Um, that is eight in a row uh, over Oregon State. And I predicted a loss to Oregon State, um, mostly seeing how they performed against Washington and how they, how they had really quite frankly, beaten the crap out of USC a couple weeks before. And I I remember watching that game and being just completely amazed at how utterly dominant 
Oregon State was up front on both sides of the football. Their offensive line was just bullying USC's defensive line, and their defensive line was constantly in Keaton Slovis's face uh, at the Coliseum. Led them to their first win at the Coliseum in over six decades. Um, I don't think it was too entirely different against Washington State. Wazoo came up with some timely turnovers. Brennan Jackson's little, you know, uh, ball bouncing off things, and he gets his mitts on it, interception. George Hicks had a nice pick um, at the end of the first half as well. Um, But that, I will admit, that surprised me a little bit. And especially given how that first half went, where it just looked like Washington State's offense kind of came out really, really constipated, frankly. Um, managed three points in that half. And even with that gift from George Hicks at the end of the first half, um, Jaden Delora was kind of freshman Jaden Delora with that last pass. You saw him throw a really bad interception. Uh, So I don't think going into halftime, there was a lot of reason to be optimistic given this team's kind of inability to adjust in the second half. I think we've seen that issue uh, pretty much all season. Uh, But, oh boy, 28 points, four touchdowns in that second half. And what was the big thing I think that we've been talking about this offense has been missing so much under Nick Rolovich, Brian Smith, Craig Stutzman is now. Stutzman's calling the play, so I don't really know what difference that is making. But for one thing, it's the explosive plays. Lincoln Victor's big play, Travell Harris's big play, Joey Hobart's big play. You talk about getting those chunk yardages those big 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 chunks of yards 30 40 50 yards at a time you needed to have that in this offense for the taps to really be opened up on it right like you can't just keep being satisfied with four to five yard slant routes because you cannot consistently move the ball doing that and we've talked about before on the show how you know you, you can think that an offense averaging 4 yards a play well that's a you know it's 4 yards on first down 4 yards on second down and it's 4 yards on third down third down that's a first down but it's really not because you got to remember you're going to get incompletions you're going to have passes defended you're going to have sacks in there so this was a team that was just not moving the ball in chunk yardage very well and that is the one thing that it's missing now granted This is one half of football, right? It's 30 minutes against an OSU defense that is okay. They're not like world beaters by any means. Frankly, Wazoo's not going to face a world-beating defense, um, kind of, sort of, until BYU, right? So it's not as if they're going to run into that anytime soon. But I think it's at least still fair to be pretty encouraged by the performance of the offense in that second half, I think the biggest thing for me that I took from that game was that Jaden Delora looked efficient. He looked like a efficient quarterback, really, for the first time this year. Over eight yards per attempt, which is excellent. You're looking for, in the run and shoot, in the air raid, you're looking for over seven at least. Over seven and a half is good. Over eight is excellent. He was at, I think, when I crunched the numbers a couple of minutes ago, at about 8.6 yards per attempt that's really good uh for an offense that wants to throw the ball around Travell Harris had a great game Calvin Jackson had a good game Lincoln Victor got in the end zone Donovan Ollie had a nice catch Joey Hobart gets into the end zone Nick Haber continues punting it well um I I think that this was kind of that second half was kind of the manifestation of everything you want this offense to be does that make sense like you know like I said the big plays but also being able to move the ball a little bit at a time um The one thing, and I brought this up on social media during the week, um, 
I think we kind of need to have a talk, right? Like, that half looked great. I want to see them continue to do it against Stanford. We'll talk about more of why I think they can here in a little bit. Um, do we need to have a discussion about Dion McIntosh and Max Borgie? And I specifically mean a discussion about how Dion McIntosh has looked much better than Max Borgie this year in this offense. I know Max got hurt against Utah. He was he was dinged up after that SC game too. Um, but Dion McIntosh so far this season appears to be much better suited for this offense than Max Borgie does. And I, I think I made this observation a few weeks ago where I don't know if, you know, Max is dealing with lingering injuries. I don't know if he's dealing with, um, you know, whatever the issue is, but he does not seem like the same running back this year that he was two years ago or even in the limited action he got last year. He just doesn't seem the same. I, I think there's some truth to the fact that the air raid fit his style a lot better because how much of Max's value was getting him out in the flat to catch a pass and letting his top-line speed really burn a defense. He was so, so good at that, and you had to account for him wherever he was because he could just torch you with his legs. The dude is lightning quick. So I, I, I think that some of it has to do with the fact that he's just better bouncing outside. You see him doing that, but there's, and I'm, I'm not a running back by any means, and I don't like being hit. It's not what I would call fun. I'm not Andrew Luck who, who you know, he, he, I think he once said that like he didn't really get into a game of football until he'd gotten hit by somebody. And I, I don't, I'm not that much of a glutton for punishment, but it kind of looks like He's shying away from contact a bit. He's shying away from doing what he'd done in the past, which is really kind of seeking out that contact and trying to run guys over and not being afraid to hit the hole hard and to try to drive through a linebacker to get there. He seems to be covering up a lot more. He seems to be shying away from contact more. He seems to be doing all of this. I don't have like this definitive you know this is what must be happening but something's going on there and I don't I, I can't quite put my finger on it but quite frankly Dion McIntosh has looked better suited to this offense this year and how blessed are we to have him after he transferred in here uh, I believe it was in 2018 when he transferred uh, to Washington State maybe 2019 I can't remember exactly when I know he was at least under Mike Leach for a year but it it's been a very big blessing to have him because he has been so effective between the tackles. How many times have you seen him break a 10- to 15-yard run in between the tackles? He did that a couple of times against Oregon State on Saturday. So I, I think there is some at least kind of credence to McIntosh being the better running back right now. Um, and I don't, you know, again, I'm, I'm absolutely not trying to I don't want to say, like, talk down Max Borgie's skills or, you know, take a crap on the kid at all. His commitment to this program over the last three to four years has been really remarkable. Um, but some, something seems off. Something seems off there. I, don't, I can't put my finger on exactly what it is. Like I said, you know, he's got those lingering injuries maybe from this year, so maybe it's something related to that. But it, it just seems so odd to see him not be Max Borgie, not be that Max Borgie that we all 
no. And I, I, I can't wait for him to be back. I can't wait for that to happen. Um, but right now it appears that something is at least a little bit off. Um, let's talk about the defense a little bit. Uh, wow. I think, you know, they still gave up, obviously, about 460 yards of offense from Oregon State. That's a very good running football team in the Beavs. Uh, but, boy, at the right time, at the exact right times, did they come up with some really big plays. With how good of a last few weeks is Ron Stone having? He was incredible against Cal. He got to the quarterback a couple of times, I believe, if I pulled the stat sheet up here, against Oregon State, including a sack on that last drive. He's been incredibly disruptive. He got he had one sack. It was on that last drive. He's been very disruptive for most of the season. Brennan Jackson, the same thing. He's been having a good last few weeks. The defense is playing very, very well right now, at least in terms of once teams get into the red zone, it doesn't feel like it was earlier in the year where, you know, you're kind of getting this, oh, this other team's going to score. No, they seem to bow up a little bit um, in the end zone. Brennan Jackson had that pick in the end zone. Now, granted, that doesn't happen every time, but Langford had at least deflected a ball or was close to his defender and was bringing him down. You had them, again, playing really well on that final drive. So, you know, there's still a lot of stuff to fix right? Oregon State ga- absolutely gashed them on the ground at times in that game. And I think the the really disappointing one was after that touchdown to go up 24-17, you just let them waltz down the field on two plays. And that cannot happen. You cannot, once you, when you go up a touchdown that late in the game, just let the other team just sprint. Literally, that was a sprint down the field. Absolutely sprinted down the field on that drive. Oregon State averaged almost seven yards a touch on the ground. That is a lot. Now, granted, again, like I said, Oregon State's a heavy running team, but, um, but yeah, you can't, you cannot do that. So credit where it's due to the defense. I think the defensive line has been more of a bright spot than we were expecting, especially Ron Stone and Brendan Jackson. We knew how good those guys were. Um, but it is so nice to see Ron Stone really just transform into that defensive end um, that we kind of always knew he could be. And to see him be such a disruptive force right now um, is is really fun. And to see him kind of finally transform into that dude on the edge uh, has been really striking. And it's been a lot of fun to see. If that defensive line can keep playing this well, you're going to keep disrupting the quarterback and helping the secondary out like that. Um, that's big for them going forward for the rest of the season, especially against Stanford, a team that is going to throw the ball around a lot, right? You have Tanner McKee, who's thrown 183 times this year. They do throw more than they pass at Stanford. So Stanford's, they're just such a weird football team, right? And this is kind of my way to indelicately get into a small preview of Stanford, they're 89th in SP+, 80th on offense, 95th on defense. Now, granted, that's not much worse than Washington State, which is 80th overall, 55th on offense, and 94th on defense. So they they get whomped by Kansas State to start the season. Then they beat Oregon at home with some help from the referees. And then they got into Arizona State territory 10 times last week. 10 times last week, and I think they scored like a touchdown. David Shaw kicked from inside the Arizona State 45 like forty five like a billion times. It was more realistically like four or five punts. 
But once they got into Oregon or into Arizona State territory, they couldn't do anything. They couldn't move the ball effectively. They couldn't like Tanner McKee looked lost out there. He looked completely lost. And as we know, Washington State tends to be David Shaw's bugaboo. For whatever reason, he's had a very hard time beating Washington State in his tenure at Stanford ever since Mike Leach got hired. Now, granted, he hasn't seen a Nick Rolovich coach team yet, but this has been, like, David Shaw admitted in a press conference a few years ago, like, he's just got no idea. He can't figure out Mike Leach's air raid. He, he, He practically admitted that, yeah, Mike Leach has my number. So it's going to be interesting to see if this if that trend in this series continues because frankly Washington State has had Stanford's number for the past 5 to 6 years. Even in that game where Christian McCaffrey absolutely fumbled, um Washington State has has really been in charge in this. And it's so wild to think after the start of the season against Utah State and the lost USC sandwich with that easy win over Portland State that you're here you're three and three going into this game, halfway home, and you you have an outside shot at getting into a bowl because really you see this game. This is a winnable game. You see Arizona. That's a you should win that football game. And frankly, you look at Washington and they are not very good this year. So there are three games where you at least like your chances to win. And okay, granted, I'm talking myself into an Apple Cup win, which I shouldn't do, but. I, I kind of go back to that Utah State game and now wonder even more, does Jaden Delora starting that game make a difference? Does Jaden Delora being the guy from the gun instead of what was it, I think, at the beginning of the second quarter, most of the way through the first, something like that, when Guarantano got hurt? Garantano, excuse me. Um, does Jaden Delora starting that football game make the difference? Because 4-2 and two and 3-3 three and three for a team with margins this thick, thin, right? I talked about after that cow game, you're not a team that can put up with a lot of mistakes. And it was kind of the same thing on Saturday against Oregon State. They didn't make a ton of mistakes. That one drive near the end of the first half was horrible, right? But after that, offense and defense, not like completely mistake-free, but they did enough to win that football game and to not make the really big mistakes. So, kind of I you have to wonder because obviously with every game that goes by you're limiting your chances to get there and you know how important bowl eligibility is for recruiting and for you know getting on TV and the extra practices and everything else so I'm kind of left to wonder what does happen if Delora starts that game does he make enough of a difference to get them over the hump against Utah State for that offense to not look horrible the entire time does he find a way to get into a rhythm and not win the football game walking away, but do enough to to win. Minus that Cameron Cooper special package, whatever the heck then that was. I have nightmares about it still. And when we come back, I'm going to talk about why that might be really, really important moving forward. Um, we do need to get into it a little bit because it is going to be a topic of discussion next week, regardless of what happens, regardless of whether there's any action, regardless of whether anything happens or not. Um, 
Nick Rolovich's job status is going to be a topic of discussion next week. And why the difference between 3-3 three and three and 4-2 and two is so important when you potentially could be losing your head coach. There's a big difference in terms of the trajectory of the season um, between 4-2 and two and 3-3 three and three at the halfway mark, especially um, concerning this. So we'll try to put some thoughts together next uh, on Nick Rolovich's job status, what might happen next week, and where, you know what, I'm... Just like everybody else, nobody really knows what's going to happen at this point. So, stick around. That was a hell of a tease, by the way. Nobody really knows what's going to happen. Listen to me blubber on for 10 to 12 minutes about it. Please do so on the Kook Center Hour. We'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Back here on the Coog Center Hour. Again, no preview of Stanford with anybody this week because it is a remarkable pain in the butt to find anybody to talk about Stanford. I don't know. It's like them in USC. It's always like every L.A. or uh, California school, except for Cal. We always love having folks from right from California on. But, yeah, uh, especially Nick was very helpful with that earlier this year. But I don't know why it's so hard. Um, we did need to talk about this anyway, and I... I want I, I want to start by saying, like, it brings me no joy to be here. I, I, I don't want to be here. I didn't want this to happen. Nobody wants this to have to be a potential decision the school has to make next week regarding Nick Rolovich. It's, it's not as if I am rooting for this. I was not rooting for this to happen when Nick Rolovich made his announcement in July. I don't want this to be happening. Nobody does. Nobody likes when this kind of stuff has to happen, and this is quite a unique situation, frankly. Um, but, but here we are, um, and especially after seeing the USA Today piece last week where June Jones spoke to them and, and basically is almost pleading with Nick Rolovich to get his vaccination um, because as I know you know, um, it's not just his job status that's up in the air if he does lose his job. Uh, assistant coaches are all almost always on one-year contracts. There are very rare occasions where they aren't. Joe Salavea is one of the few examples, maybe him and Alex Grinch that I can think of, that were on multi-year deals. Actually, Tracy Clays was when he was Mike Leach's defensive coordinator. But again, you know, your wide receiver coach, your graduate assistants, your, you know, guys who just crunch film, they're all on one-year deals, if even that. They're at will employed, a lot of them. So this is not just a Nick Rolovich decision when it comes to this, but in terms of what gets the headlines, what is the important part of it, um, it kind of is. As you well know, um, there is a deadline for state employees to get or to either receive an exemption and have an accommodation granted for not getting their COVID-19 shot on Monday, October 18th, or um, they can be fired. Uh, and so far, Nick Rolovich has not gotten his vaccination. He has applied for a religious exemption. 
um, to that. And I want to start by saying something I've said before, and that is if he had simply said that from the beginning, if it was a medical condition, just explaining that he has a medical issue, he's consulted with his doctor, they are advising he not get it, and he's filing for an exemption, this is the only time I'm going to talk about it because it's private, or if he had said in July, I have deeply held religious convictions that prevent me from, you know, or make it, you know, I don't morally agree with getting the shot, I'm going to apply for a religious exemption, maybe that doesn't take away as much of the controversy, but it does a lot more than I'm not getting it and I'm not going to talk about why. It is not a journalist's job to just take that at face value and go, oh, well, he said he's not going to talk about it anymore, so I'm not going to ask questions. Especially when there is a deadline like this. And we can think, you know, you can think that it doesn't, you know, this isn't sports at all, we shouldn't be talking about it, but it absolutely concerns the health of the program at Washington State. It absolutely has everything to do with football, whether your head coach is going to be gone seven games into a season. Okay, so let's get that out of the way. And come Monday, I don't frankly know for sure what is going to happen. I don't think anybody knows for sure what's going to happen. It may be until Tuesday the 19th because the deadline is at the end of the day on the 18th. I don't know what happens if Nick Rolovich's exemption still hasn't been actioned by the school. I don't know what happens if it has, but his employers haven't decided whether they can accommodate him or not. I don't know what happens if he decides to get the shot on the 18th but can't find an appointment until the 19th. I don't know what goes on. There's a whole, there's a wide range of stuff that can happen on Monday. And I hate that this is where we are. I truly do. But something is probably going to happen next week, unfortunately. Um, and there are some weird options here, okay? So we know now because June Jones pretty much forced it out of Nick Rolovich by going, or not by going to USA Today, but by speaking to USA Today um, about it, is that he's seeking a religious exemption, okay? So the... The... <laughs> What is accepted for a religious exemption tends to be rather narrow, okay? You, you can't just, you know, go to church, convert, and then say you have a religious exemption because you don't want to get the shot. That's just generally not how that works. Um, so whether he gets it or not is up to a blind committee. At WSU, his name is taken off the exemption, so they are awarding it without knowing who the employee is, which is fair. They should be doing it that way. Um... If the exemption isn't granted and Nick Rolovich doesn't get his shot, well, then it's pretty simple for Pat Chun and Kirk Schultz on the end of the day on Monday. Is that Nick Rolovich is going to be out of a job, um, and any of and likely any of his staff members um, who don't have their shot and have filed for a similar exemption will be too. Um, if he is granted his exemption, so this is where it becomes unblinded. Right. So you 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 don't get to then after the exemption's been granted, also have the accommodations be granted blindly because someone's supervisor has to determine if they can do their job with certain accommodations. Um I I know that, you know, there's a thought that he kind of has been doing his job with accommodations to this point. The problem is the calculus on that changes 
once the mandate goes into effect on the 18th right we we have had you know last year he was doing it without it but obviously there was no vaccine available he's been doing it this year um without his vaccine and he's ostensibly been doing everything he should be doing the question for kirk schultz and for pat chun moving forward is whether you think nick rolovich can do his job effectively as someone who is getting these accommodations can he do his job effectively by doing his coach's show via zoom in perpetuity can he do it by by actively recruiting by being a guy who's not vaccinated can he fundraise can he glad hand with alums and donors and all these things a head coach has to do that you know i what i've kind of turned soft skills they're not the x's and o's they are not being on the sideline on game day i think we've seen and i and i frankly fall into the camp of a mask outdoors in that setting is frankly a little bit like we know the science on that is pretty much settled at this point you don't really need to be wearing a mask outside unless you're all like in a tent and breathing on each other okay so even Nick Rolovich wearing a mask on the sideline, frankly, he probably doesn't need to be doing, but the school says he has to, and he seems to be doing a pretty good job of keeping it on every time the camera is on him. Okay, so I will give him credit for that. So the question is, is whether he can continue to effectively do his job moving forward. And I think, unfortunately, the answer to that is no, he can't. Um, you might say, recruiting-wise, that maybe kids are waiting to see what happens, and I would agree with that somewhat. I would say also that there's a chance that other coaches are using his vaccination status against him. Other coaches use use scandals at school all the time to attract recruits to them and away from other schools. Um, the class right now, at least rating of each player-wise is fine, but it is in the 70s nationally, below where Washington State traditionally is. They do only have nine commits. I'd only gotten two since Nick Rolovich made his announcement in late July that he wouldn't be getting his vaccination or he wouldn't be attending Pactual Media Days because he doesn't have his vaccination. Um, I don't know that you can effectively do Night with Cougar football. Can you go and do all these things coaches need to be able to do to help their employer and to help their job. Um, I don't know that that can be done. That's up for Pat Chun and Kirk Schultz to decide. I would probably land on the side of he's not going to be as good or as effective as he could be at his job without him getting the vaccination. And that's just not an option because there are going to be situations where it would really behoove of him to have it. Like being around older donors, like doing all of that stuff that a coach needs to do. And I frankly, my biggest trouble with, it's going to, like I'm phrasing this weirdly, but I, I, I remember in July when he released the statement that he was not going to be at Pac-12 Media Days because he's not vaccinated. It was very, very clear at that point that he had not consulted with Pat Chun or Kirk Schultz on when to send that statement out because they were left scrambling for hours afterwards, absolutely flapping in the wind for hours afterwards to figure out what they needed to do to do some damage control. They had to do something, and he didn't wait for them to do anything. 
whether you, you, that is obviously something, you know, that, okay, your boss is going to find out that way that you're telling them, um, very publicly that you're not doing it. Um, but at least go to them privately and say, Hey guys, I'm not vaccinated. I can't go. How do we want to handle this moving forward? How do we want to handle this public statement wise in a way that best helps us? Because it was very clear that did not happen. Or at the very least, there was some large disagreement over it and Rolovich decided to go his own way on it. I just don't think there is a way forward here. I don't think there's a way he can do that job without being vaccinated according to like like according to state law it would be very difficult for him to do it moving forward um and i like look right at the top of his contract section 1.2.1 recognition of duties a employee agrees to devote employees best efforts to the performance of their duties for the university and to comply with and support all rules regulations policies and decisions established or issued by the university employee agrees to abide by all provisions of law including the washington state ethics and public service law employee also agrees during the term of this agreement that employee will not engage directly or indirectly in any business that would detract from employees ability to apply their best efforts to the performance of their duties hereunder. I, I just, it, it's hard to find a way around that. It's really hard. So I, I, I think that come Tuesday, he will not be the head coach anymore. I don't like that. I don't like that this is where we are 20 to 21 months after being so excited about the hire. I don't want to be in this situation. Nobody wants to be here. But we are here. This is where we have to move forward from at this point. And I frankly do not know exactly what is going to happen next week. I wish I did so I could prepare myself for it, but I don't. I just think I know the most likely outcome. And it is unfortunately that somebody else is going to be the head coach of this football team when BYU comes to town. We're going to see what happens. I don't want to say that it's going to be interesting either way because I don't think it will be interesting. It will be sad. It will be hard. And there will be a lot of yelling and a lot of screaming. Um, and frankly, there will probably be some time in court for both of these parties. Um, but the reason you've seen the school, I think, be so quiet and not publicly say anything about this is A, they cannot, and B, they are getting their ducks in a row to do this. So we'll see what happens next week, but I don't, I, I don't love this, guys. I hate that we're here. I really do. I, I, I hate this. I, I wish that I, I wish that Nick Rolovich had gotten a shot so we could avoid this, frankly. I, I, I really wish that, okay? I get it's his choice. In this case, the choice has a consequence, and that means he could be terminated. I, I just... I don't like this. That's all I can say. I've said it in enough ways. Dunder head of the week. Ask Michael anything. That's a hell of an ending. I intro all this stuff so roughly, and then I'm just going to like, yep. Drop the pen. That's it. It's over. Outro. <laughs> Dunderhead of the week. Ask Michael anything. Coming up next after the fight song.
Dunderhead of the week time. Uh, Lincoln Riley this week um, closed off all the media availability, all practice availability um, after apparently. So if you watched the Red River shootout, um, you saw Caleb Williams come in to replace Spencer Rattler and help lead the Sooners back. I think it was like, what, 21 points out against Longhorns. It was a great game. At the same time as that old Miss Arkansas game that was really good, too. Um, but of course, you know, everybody's a little curious uh, about who the starter's going to be this next week. Um, and <laughs> so the OU student paper, Ever Enterprising, um, managed to talk to Caleb Williams' dad and apparently, like, somehow watched practice. Okay, so I, I, I'm not getting it straight. I think practices are closed and they somehow managed to watch practice and determined that Caleb Williams was taking first team reps over Spencer Rattler. So Lincoln Riley being the very mature man that he is, uh, took the extra step to cancel media availability and just shut everything down, uh, for the rest of the week, um, ahead of their next game. So I, I'm like, I, I just like, that's not the solution to the problem. The solution is for you to find a better way to keep stuff a secret that you want to keep secret. It is not the student newspaper's job to play your whipping, not, not whipping boy, but to do what you want when it comes to reporting that kind of thing. It's not up to them. What are they, Adam Schefter? <laughs> there was another good candidate for Dunderhead of the Week. But, um, I just, like, every, every time a coach gets petty against the student paper, I just have such a hard time with it because these kids are... Obviously, learning how to do do journalism and like, yeah, that's part of it. Is like you find a way to figure that stuff out, and they found a way to figure it out. What Lincoln Riley's really pissed off about is that he didn't do a good enough job to hide it from them. That's what he's really upset about. Don't be upset at the kids for figuring it out. Be upset at yourself for not doing a good enough job to make sure nobody knew. Okay, like I'm I'm sorry that 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 is the case. You can do a better job next time. And also, maybe not get down 21 to Texas and need a roaring comeback from Caleb Williams and not Spencer Rattler. That would be a good idea. Lincoln Riley, Dunderhead of the Week. Also, just honorable mention to Adam Schefter. Just chef's kiss asking, asking Bruce Allen to edit a story for you. My God. That's just, that is utter perfection of unprofessional journalism. But you own a stake in a gambling company, too. And the stuff you report affects gambling. So... When it comes to ethics, you're really on top, Adam. Ask Michael anything time. I just, like, every, everybody's still overlooking the fact that Adam Schefter owns, like, a part of a sports betting company, and he literally provides information that would be beneficial to sports bettors. And ESPN's, like, totally cool with that. <laughs> okay. Uh, at CQ8606, sleep deprived Sean. Who do you think you are? Also, what gives you the right? I mean, like, frankly, I, I don't know. I, like, I don't know who I am and nothing gives me the right. Like, frankly, I, I, I need to be checked like that all the time. Like, <laughs> just a guy with a microphone and a podcast. That's all I am. At Pretty Fair Beer, our friends at Pretty Fair Beer who sponsor podcasts versus everyone. Which is the better seasonal brew, Oktoberfest or Fresh Hop? I love Fresh Hop way more. I actually, frankly, am not much of an Oktoberfest person. I don't care for Oktoberfests very much. I think if I ever went to Oktoberfest, I would just drink a lot of lager and call it good. Um, yeah, I, I like Fresh Hop IPAs much, much better than Oktoberfest. Way prefer that. 
at Luke Erickson, 10. Luke Erickson. Cougs need three more wins to become bowl eligible. I could see them beating Stanford, Arizona, and dare I say UW. I just don't see them beating BYU, ASU, or Oregon. Is this the year we finally win the Apple Cup? Um, I... <laughs> We lose that game until further notice, until it happens. And like I've said, I'm going to be more relieved than anything. I'm not even I, like I'll be happy, but it's just going to be more relief um, that it's finally happened. I agree on what's winnable and what's not winnable. Um, yeah, I just don't see ASU was so good. Oregon's pretty decent as well, obviously. Uh, Stanford, Arizona, and UW best chance. That's why I'm so like so agonizing over that Utah State game. Is that just losing that took away uh, you know took away a little padding on the back end there. At a good old age, McFly. What streaming service do you use for your sports viewing? Fubo TV uh, is really good. They got a lot of options um, in terms of like their channels they have available. I found it to be the best, like for the price. Um, I I think my only complaint I really had before was that on, when on their DVR, like the fast forward didn't have you know like the little pop up to show you where you were, so you kind of had to like guess. And I think they just got that capability like two weeks ago, so they're pretty good. Their guide again could use a little work in terms of the scrolling and everything else because uh, you have to like start at the top and it's kind of annoying to scroll. But overall, I really like it. At Donnie Schlecht, uninteresting 1986. Will WSU have a campus wide walk on tryout for the coaching position come Tuesday morning? If so, I'd like to see Glenn Johnson get the job. Offensive play calling of that's another first down and defensive scheme of no gain. I'm fine with both of that. I'm fine with all of that. I'm I'm I really like all of that. Uh, but no, it would in, in the case of Nick Rolovich not having a job anymore, it'd probably be Jake Dickert. At MPB the three, Marcus Paul Burns, eighth. WTF. Yeah, men's basketball voted eighth in the Pac-12 Media Poll. We're gonna talk a little bit more basketball as things goes on, and we didn't talk about that today. Because I don't really have you know, like too much of a salient point around it. Other than it's pretty crammed in from four to eight. I think it was like 30 points separated uh, Oregon State from Washington State. So it's pretty dang close uh, in the middle. But um, yeah, I, I think they're better than the eighth best team in the conference without a doubt. Uh, at LSU's, LSU's, Oktoberfest is leaving Leavenworth for Wenatchee in 2022 after the city decided to stop working with annual organizers. Pros and cons, feels, assuming it's safe to attend in 2022. I've actually never been to Oktoberfest in Leavenworth. I know a lot of people have a very, like, strong attachment to it. I think it's disappointing. I get it. Why Leavenworth wouldn't want, like, a bunch of weekends of a bunch of drunk idiots around Leavenworth. Because they still do have that little family, you know, vibe up there. And I've frankly never been to Wenatchee. So, uh, I'm sure the pros are that Wenatchee will be a little bit more welcoming to that. And the cons will be that it's not in a place as fun as Leavenworth. That's very Oktoberfesty. Washington State 31, Stanford 21. I'll be daring. We're going to have a lot to talk about next week on the Kook Center Hour. I guarantee you that no matter what happens, plenty to talk about next week.